the study of theology is the study of the word or the idea or the concept or the logic of God himself. Took me four years to read the Bible. I reckon I understand a great deal of it. Wasn't what I expected in some places. So I'm sad that we're not on the same page eschatologically. I wish Sam Storms and I were on the same page. Sam. So you believe in these kind of things? Let's just say I want to believe. Well, I know where he was converted. He was converted on the toilet. That, I, I like that one. We're you gonna would. To, you could say he was saying I was in the dumps, whatever. Just, well, which stall what? was he in? First John, second John, no, 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 third no, no, John. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let be careful here. He had bowel problems. He struggled with constipation. The argument among certain psychologists, he finally experienced relief with constipation. And in that moment of relief and deliverance, he suddenly... I wasn't getting that graphic. <laughs> he suddenly, you know, had this breakthrough discovery. And all of his fetid guilt, he released. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. We are continuing our study um, on these sessions of the Reformation. We are glad you have joined us. Um, we've never really lately paused and just told you where Theology Unplugged comes from. And, uh, you know, we're part of Credo House Ministries. And if you've listened to us a while, we, uh, uh, we, we try to get unplugged in the sense that... Um, what, what, what does unplugged mean, Tim? I think what it means is it's a conversation about theology. I mean, it's some people... It's they're, not so formal. Yeah, some people that are listening, you know, just for whatever reason, don't have people around them that are maybe interested or excited to be like, hey, let's meet at a coffee shop and just talk for an hour about theological things that are important. And so what it is is just four people who devoting their lives to studying the Bible, to loving the church, loving Jesus, and, and we just get together and have a conversation. We don't really think too much in advance about uh, what exactly we're going to say. It's just, it's more of like if you were hanging out with us, and you brought up a topic, this is the conversation that would ensue. All right. Well, we are a uh, listener-supported broadcast, so if you uh, go to credohouse.org, you can support us from there. Uh, we're really four and a half, because Carrie sometimes chimes in. Well, it's, four, it's, it's four men and a one. <laughs> Which doesn't mean the half. Four men and a <laughs> Okay, we love so we're, we're, we last week uh, we ended with the uh, Luther basically getting up to the doors of Worms, and um, how, how much did we did we cover there? Well, we 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 tracked with Luther up through his posting of the ninety five theses, the reasons for it, and um, uh, the debates that he had with certain Roman Catholic theologians in the aftermath, and we kind of left off just prior to him being excommunicated, formally booted from the Roman Catholic Church, which took place in June of 1520, uh, the Pope issued um, a papal bull, and indeed it was. It's a bunch of bull. Yeah, it was, called Exerge Domine, which Rise. means Rise Up, O Lord. And mm. um, he, he excommunicated Luther. Luther, in response, held a bonfire, literally. <laughs> Uh, he wasn't burning records or, you know, his heavy metal music, but he did uh, throw the papal bull, the document, into the fire. And I have the words here. I love it. He yelled out, as thou, thou being the Pope, 
as thou hast vexed the Holy One of the Lord, may the eternal fire vex thee. <laughs> well, at this point, then, you can see that Luther has transitioned in his thought because he's, yeah. he's no longer yeah. fallen under the authority of the Pope the, in his own mind. The worm has turned, or should yeah. we say yeah. the worm. Yeah. yeah, his yeah. desire to, to, to bring reform within the church uh, is, is now um, obsolete. He, he realizes that the, that the turn has been made. He's out. Something new has begun. And or, I, I think it's important to note, too, because I think if you're listening, it, you might think to yourself, like, man, if my church, like if the leader of my church sent me a letter saying, you're out, I would just go to visit a different church, you know, yeah. and I would, it would that's like, right. it would not end. Maybe I'd just be like, yeah, that's an extra reason why I shouldn't be a part of that church. I'm going to go to this church, you know, and it would, it would almost like not even raise your blood pressure at all if you received that letter for most people or many people in America. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was just, those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. there was only one Who hasn't yeah. professing yeah. church at that time. It was yeah. the Roman Catholic so, church. So this was a really big deal in 1520 in Germany was, and many times that was like a death sentence. I mean, like there was a, a good chance that like your life is in danger if you're no longer a, a part of the church. Yeah, because the channel for your salvation is gone. And isn't that part of what made people uh, angry anyway? And like the one historian says that all of Germany was already kind of uh, feeling mm -hmm. that tension, the fact that they hold that over them. And mm -hmm. so that when Luther questions that authority, there's a big... As the guy says, a deep yavol by the German people. They're they're happy because, frankly, one of the things Luther comes around to saying is, you know, come to think of it, the Roman Pontiff doesn't even have that authority anyway. Uh, bulls and excommunications and interdicts and bans and all these things are they only apply to the to the structure of the church. They don't apply mm. to heaven. Oh, and you know, I've emphasized a few times before, and I always do because it's so important, at least for my thinking, is that I, I, I call the Roman Catholic Church before Trent, which is in another 20 years from where we're at, before Trent, just the institutionalized church, something that had been growing and becoming what we, I think, is formalized at Trent. I think what was the last council before Trent? The second Lateran Council, is that right? I think I think that was it. Or the third Lateran Council was it under uh, Innocent and in around the 11th century? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early 12th. And that's where you had a lot of formalization of the sacraments, and mm -hmm. it, it, there was a there was a general doctrine that had been growing over the years about the authority of the Pope. But I think that at the time of Luther, he wasn't sitting on the other side of Trent where it had been dogmatized to such a degree. And Luther caused the dogmatization that comes later on and the formalizing of so much of what we know now as the Roman Catholic Church. And so in Luther's mind, yes, he is he's leaving the only church that has ever been, but not really in his mind, I don't think, would he think of it to, like we would think of it today, that... It, there's no debate this is the you know there's the lines have been drawn it's very clear cut he's entering into a debate that had gone on like i said with huss and Whitcliffe and many others who had been raising their hands basically saying hey some, something's wrong after you know the 11th century so may i make a suggestion let's talk about the, the final definitive break which really wasn't the bull of excommunication, it was the Diet of Worms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, if we have time today, we need to answer the question, was this all real, really necessary? Was this, 
was Luther mistaken? Was he deluded? Uh, did he set something in motion that wasn't worth um, uh, the price that had to be paid? Uh, was the Reformation, as some people have called, a tragic necessity? And what does that mean? And my guess is we might have some differing views at this table. So, Diet of Worms. Mm. Are we there? Yeah. January Emperor. 23rd, 1521. By the way, actually, yeah. he appeared on April 17th. Uh, Yes, that's when the the diet was commenced. Yes, it was called earlier. Yes, so. people might wonder uh, what we're talking about because it's a funny term. Yeah, because um, has say, nothing to do with squiggly creatures on the in the yeah. Earth. Because I was going to say the diet of worms is is uh, could probably be a very effective weight loss approach. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so the word diet. <laughs> You know, sort of old Latin, what old, it's Greek too, isn't it? Sort of having to do with procedure and assembly. And uh, so it's the root of both diet, diet as So basically it means an assembly, so yeah, a convocation, a yeah. gathering, right. a yeah. formal um, conference to um, sometimes to put people on trial. And uh, I don't know what other purposes it might serve. Well, you know, in this, in this case, the emperor called it. And I think the emperor had in his mind, uh, you know, some of the arrogance behind him was that, I still have the power to be able to really get this guy. And it's, it's, in some sense, this is the final downfall and, of the well, Holy it, Roman Emperor. The, the emperor isn't, I, he's not really the one who most has it in for Luther, is he? Well, he, he's, he's trying to come behind the church and kind of... Yeah, he doesn't want this trouble. But, but and, and was, isn't it true that Luther had said to the princes, to, to Albert and Fred, these guys, he won't go, I won't go to Rome make sure I don't have to go to Rome. Rome wanted him to come, right? They summoned him there. And he remembered Huss. And he said, no the way. The promise of safe passage ended <laughs> yeah. in the embers of uh, his flesh burning. Yeah. So, so Worms <clears throat> is sort of a little bit of a compromise, isn't it? Where, And, and the good thing about it is where, that he's got a bunch of Germans filling out that assembly, doesn't he? Instead of a, instead of a whole bunch of uh, you know, guys from the... From it was the as much a political convocation as it was officially religious. Well, they didn't. They didn't come there for uh, what he thought, at least the the debate. You know, he he was. I think he was was somewhat excited to go there because he thought it'd be. Hey, this is going to be a, a real central place where we're going to get this thing hashed out to some degree. You know, we're going to talk back and forth. So the emperor Charles V, only nineteen years old at the time, mm. at the beginning said this, and I quote: "It is preposterous that a single monk." should be right in his opinion and that the whole of Christianity should be in error a thousand years or more. Hmm. What so, an assumption he had. Yeah, needless to say. And and when Luther got there, um, he was really frustrated initially because, as you said, he thought he was going to have an opportunity to preach and teach and make known his views. And he walked in and they, they asked him two questions and left <laughs> it at that. They first said they had a table with all these books and pamphlets there and they said, are these yours? Did you write them? And then secondly, do you still affirm what's in them or will you retract? Hmm. Those are the only two questions he was asked. And um, some people think that Luther, um, Luther's knees buckled hmm. in cowardice, but they didn't. He basically said, uh, give me 24 hours to think about it. Yeah. And, but it was, I mean, it's very clear he wanted to formulate in his mind the right answer because he knew this would probably be the only time he would have to speak. Well, well, just think of Luther's feelings at the time. And I, I really got this from John Hanna whenever he talked about it. He talked about it in a lot more uh, colorful terms. But um, 
whenever Luther came there and he was surprised by this, and then at, at this point, the 24 hours, and I think that this was a definitive turn, as, as we have said on previous broadcasts, this could be the date where we should have the uh, uh, Reformation start. Uh, but, you know, he, he, uh, John Hanna talked about him that night really wrestling, you know, mm-hmm. and ha- having a lot of stomach problems is the well, way he put it. Luther said, Luther affirmed, he said, yeah, I did write all those. <clears throat> he said whether or not I will retract anything that's in them. He said, this is a momentous occasion. Let yeah. me think about it. Let me yeah. pray about it. Because his mind, his theology was constantly developing. So he had to reevaluate whether or not he was going to retract any portion mm. of what he had written. Mm-hmm. Mm. And to think about it, I mean, you, you can just wonder what, what he was thinking that 24-hour period, you know, because yeah. the start of it, what, he, what uh, the emperor had said, you're going against a thousand years of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe in his mind, you know, he's thinking, maybe I am, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe I am wrong. Maybe I'm standing alone. You know, we have the comfort. It, it, there's an easy comfort, especially sitting at this table, because so much of what we hold to is shared by so many others. I mean, just us four being able to talk about this stuff gives us confidence. I mean, the more people that you have behind you, the more confidence that you usually have. And to stand alone, you know, I go all the mm-hmm. way back to people like Athanasius, who is you know, Athanasius contramundum, Athanasius against the world, you know, and maybe Luther felt this way. I'm sure he had to, you know, just wonder, what if I'm wrong? What if, what if I am starting something this night, that tomorrow, whatever I say, this is the definitive turn. Although on the other hand, by the time he gets to this diet, he, everything that we've been talking about has transpired already. So he's already had the exchanges with Kajitan and these guys and Mm -hmm. Eck. He's already heard what they say, mm. he, and I, I get the sense that you know how it is sometimes with a person when they when they realize that the group they've been a part of when they're kind of on the outs with them at first they start to really they get on the on the working end of the way they operate and then they start to look at their arguments better mm. and sometimes you look at it and mm. say you know these arguments are so bad and when you look at his responses to people like Eck it's hard for me looking at that to think that he's still wavering like 50-50. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you'll always have those butterflies, I guess. You'll always feel the weight of the world. But I don't know. I, I kind of think he's... I picture him overnight looking at the writings of guys like Huss and saying, these guys are right. I know I'm right on this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and here's my conviction, and I'd love to hear you all weigh in on this. I think um, Luther's confession the next day defines as clearly as possible the central issue of the Reformation. Yeah. We hear a lot about the five solas. And some people say, well, it's sola fides, by faith alone, you know, not salvation by works. Well, that's true, but I don't think that was the, the most definitive and crucial, long-reaching re- um, uh, principle that Luther articulated. I think sola scriptura is the heart mm-hmm. of the Protestant Reformation. And you can hear it in Luther's response when he stood up. And I have it in front of me, I don't have this memorized, I wish I did. Quote, unless I am refuted and convicted by the testimonies of the scriptures or by clear arguments, and there's a parenthesis, since I believe neither the Pope nor councils alone, it being evident that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, close parenthesis, I am conquered by the holy scriptures quoted by me, and my conscience is bound to the word of God, 
I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against the conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Yeah. That to me was the decisive break with Rome when Luther basically said, I yield my conscience to no one. I yield it only to the written word of God. Mm. That was the, it's the issue of religious authority. Yeah. It's the ultimate appeal because as long as the Pope and councils still were regarded as uh, authoritative and binding, then all the traditions of the medieval period, everything that came out of the councils was still operative and valid. But the moment Luther said, no, um, I'm happy to agree with the Pope, happy to agree with the council if they agree with the written word of God. And that in essence was the most definitive element, I believe, in the Protestant Reformation. Would you all agree with that or do you disagree? I, w I would agree too, but I think it's as it relates to, I know, I think Luther was surprised that they did not allow him to go line by line through his works. You know, it was either reject all of it or, or you know, recant of all of it or none of it, basically. And I know he was, he couldn't have recanted, I think it was clever that he said he couldn't recant of all of it because he quoted scripture throughout. Yeah, right. So he would be <laughs> unwilling to recant of uh -huh. the scripture that is filled inside the books, you know. I think Luther was yearning for a, and I know he had had them before, yearning for a, show me in scripture where I'm wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't go there. They wouldn't say, you know, so he wanted the argument to be scripture, but I do think sola scriptura is a big part of it, but I think a surprising part of it too is the kind of invention of the individual, where one individual person, uh, like mm -hmm. him, uh, him appealing to his own individual conscience over rulings of the leaders of the day and stuff like that, you know, I mean, I think it was a marked change in many ways yeah. of the direction of the way that people would relate and you could go all the way back to the Bereans you know <clears throat> sure but just his claim on like my individual conscience with the word of God trumps 1,000 yeah. years of church history is pretty stark yeah, yeah and, and whatever it's bound to the word of God you had yeah. I don't know if you had in there I didn't I didn't hear it but he said the scriptures adduced by me or yeah. understood yeah. by mm -hmm. me right. um, the, the idea there is it's not just the scriptures, but like Tim said, it's my interpretation of it and yeah. my conscience that has to go with it. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, do you think that perhaps that had something to do also with the, like the Renaissance led to the Reformation? I'm sure y'all covered that, at least elements of it. Do you think in terms of humanism, not what we know as humanism today, but the humanism of the Renaissance and uh, the, I think it was called Northern European humanism, like a specific, mm -hmm. but anyway, that was a big part of it of conscience. Do you think mm -hmm. that that what that lent itself to Luther's yeah. thinking? Yeah, on that? yeah but I think the Reformation more fed the Renaissance. Well, but the there's there's a parallel. The we talked last time about the uh, the going back the Renaissance guys. There is that individual element. There's the going back to the sources. Like I skipped the intermediate authorities, and even I read where Bootser when he first heard Luther mm -hmm. when he was young, he said one of his statements was. What Erasmus implied so often, Luther just said openly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Oh, well, who was it that said that uh, that Luther hatched the egg that Erasmus laid? Was yeah. that it, or something, something yeah, to that right, effect? Right. Yeah, but it is. It's true, Kerry. The uh, the Renaissance highlighted the value and the dignity of the individual over the institution, and so Luther was to some extent a product of that, and basically said, and again. 
I, I run into this, as I know all of you do, in talking with people today, especially evangelicals who are converting to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And you can sit and debate and argue individual doctrines till you're blue in the face and nothing changes nothing matters until except... you get right down to why do you believe in the authority of the magisterium? Why do you believe in the Immaculate Conception of Mary? Why do you believe in purgatory? And our response is, um, our conscience is bound to the Word of God. They aren't there, not only that, but they are contradicted by what we see in Scripture. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter Mm -hmm. to the Roman Catholic because ultimately the magisterium, it has an ultimate trump card. It can play on Scripture and on tradition and everything else. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, for me, I mean, looking at this, and I do agree with Sam that no matter what, there's, it's worthless to discuss anything until you get to the issue of authority. Not just with Roman Catholicism, just with any sure. any discussion you're having with any religion or anything else. What is the source of your authority? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> whenever you come down, and, and I, I think of Roman Catholicism, and I think of the Pope, and I think of the councils, and I think of, you know, magisterial authority and how, how they pull it all together and papal bulls and the difference between doctrine and dogma and all the intricacies that have developed, you know, and I don't, I don't mind the system of Roman Catholicism. I really don't. I mean, I I wouldn't mind having authorities in positions like the Pope or like the councils. I mean, I really like the Council of Nicaea. I really like Chalcedon. I wouldn't mind those being authoritative. I wouldn't mind those being inspired. I wouldn't mind those being from the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't mind God continuing to send us the same type of scripture revelation or or whatever else. The thing is, we we have compelling reason to believe that the canon was closed mm-hmm. and that that it, that this type of stuff ceased and i whenever i look at the popes and i look at the current pope i say well, why why should i believe that he is from god why should i believe that he speaks with authority just because tradition has handed him a baton gives me no compelling reason. And I think that's what Luther's looking at whenever he's seeing this this tradition that has been handed down. I don't really see the reason why I should be compelled to believe this. Yeah. I, I think the bottom line is that Luther had been um, taken over by something Calvin talked about later, the internal testimony of the Spirit. Mm. I think the Spirit of God had shined through the written scriptures and had birthed a conviction in Luther's heart, this is the written word of God. This is the ultimate and final authority to which my conscience is bound. Mm-hmm. And Luther, of course, unlike a lot of people in his time, Luther knew the Bible. I mean, in a, mm-hmm. in a, a scholarly way, he had been teaching it. So he, he could trust his own sense of uh, spirit-led reason and understanding mm-hmm. what it says, which gave him the confidence to stand against the whole system, yeah. which I think is a great example for today to give people of the ability to the degree that people have this any confidence that they understand the bible mm-hmm. which is why i think one of the things that the reformation gives birth to among other things is a lot of bible translation mm-hmm. because i think people start to say you know if everybody can have the at least the ability to whether they do it or not it's up to them but if everybody has access to mm-hmm. a bible they can really read and understand then they too can start to get a measure of the same confidence yeah. to say, you know, I'm reading this and and I know this is, I, I can interpret this myself. 
not not to say like you were mentioning earlier some people today feel like they don't know where to go mm-hmm. in fact a lot of people are like that who do i believe yeah. which mm-hmm. church has it right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so how important was the diet of worms and what martin luther did i i have a quote um, that i don't know where i came across it it's uh, by a man by the name of thomas carlisle came from the late 19th century i want to read this i want you all to mm-hmm. i want you all to assess this assessment okay quote the diet of worms luther's appearance there on the 17th of april 1521 may be considered as the greatest scene in modern European history. Mm. The point indeed from which the whole subsequent history of civilization takes its rise. The world's pomp and power sit there on this hand. On that stands up for God's truth one man, the poor miner Hans Luther's son. Our petition, the petition of the whole world to him was, free us, it rests with thee, desert us not. Luther did not desert us. It is, as we say, the greatest moment in the modern history of men. English Puritanism, England and its parliaments, America's vast work these many centuries, French Revolution, Europe, and its work everywhere at present. The germ of it all lay there. Had Luther in that moment done other, it had all been otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty grandiose claim. And yeah. I think he may be right. Now, obviously, we don't we don't know if Luther had somehow broken under the pressure, would there have been subsequent other reformers who stood up mm-hmm. to take his place? Probably so. Yeah. But Well the ground was fertile, we could sure. tell, especially yeah. about how the world changed so mm-hmm. quickly. It wasn't like people sat around and, you know, this was brand new to them. It, it satisfied them in some way. But Luther, as we've said so much, he had the personality, he had the position, mm-hmm. he had the history in his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, this particular circumstance, yeah. all those led to something that I think you're right. It's the it's the apex of and, looking back for the last 2,000 years. And we've been spending some time in previous podcasts uh, analyzing as best as we can Luther's personality, his character. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a man with a steel rod for a backbone right. to do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my, you were talking about John Hanna, um, his professor and my mentor, Edwin Dibler at Dallas Seminary, used to say that Martin Luther had a steel rod for a backbone, Melanchthon had a limp piece of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get into that later on. Yeah. Melanchthon was Luther's successor. Mm-hmm. But for all the idiosyncrasies of Luther's life, I mean, he was a weird guy. He was incredibly earthy. He, he could be vile in his language and unbelievably critical of his enemies. But could but anybody, he is the could, guy you could invite any, to the party. Yeah, could anybody <laughs> right. else, could anybody else no. have stood firmly in the face of an entire empire? Mm. I mean, immediately after Worms, you know, he was, um, you know, rushed out of town. Um, but the emperor issued a decree saying anybody anywhere who comes across this guy by yeah. force take him, return him to us, and they were going to execute him. Yeah, no doubt. I, I actually have the decree here that was issued on May 26, 1521 by Emperor Charles V. It says, For this reason we forbid anyone from this time forward to dare, either by words or by deeds, to re- receive, 
defend, sustain, or favor the said Martin Luther. On the contrary, we want him to be apprehended and punished as a notorious heretic as he deserves, to be brought personally before us, or to be securely guarded until those who have captured him inform us, whereupon we will order the appropriate manner of proceeding against the said Luther. Those who will help in his capture will be rewarded generously for their good work. Hmm. I have to say, I think this is why people like this guy. And how can you not like this guy? And someone said once, Calvin's theology is polarizing, but Luther is a polarizing person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Who else? Because I, I think about every time when he would reply, and they say that when the guy, when the Dominican guy, they got originally this Dominican mm-hmm. guy, I can't remember his name, to write a response to the 95 Theses. And, and he just basically hits him so hard, but only does is reiterate the church's dogma. And he just says, this is true, this is true. And and Luther, this is early on when you'd think he's starting to feel the weight of what he's mm-hmm. under. And his reply to that guy was, you know, you're worse than Tetzel. Mm-hmm. Because at least Tetzel, quote, had, had an argument. You didn't even give me one reason why. You didn't even quote a scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's bold to, to mm-hmm. say that to somebody uh, that powerful, but that's just the kind of guy he was. Yeah. So Luther is whisked away um, by um, Elector Frederick the Wise. That was Luther's civil prince. He was taken to the Wartburg Castle. Whisked away? You mean kidnapped? Whisked. He was kidnapped. Yes, and um, spent two years in hiding mm. and uh, grew a beard and uh, basically disguised his appearance and stayed, um, you know, hidden away in the in this castle and spent his two years there feverishly translating mm-hmm. uh, the New Testament into German, which was Deutsch. a major, major um, factor. So we leave Luther in the Wartburg Castle. It is now 1522, and we now need to direct our attention in a future podcast to other expressions of the Reformation. We need to talk about Zwingli. We need to talk about what happened in Switzerland. We need to talk about the Anabaptists and Uh, obviously move on to uh, John Calvin himself. So we will revisit these topics in the future. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you.